A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where we shall be going over the second half of The Mummy from 1999, starring Rachel Weitz and Brendan Fraser. Unsurprisingly, as this is the second of two parts on this film, it is recommended that you listen to the first part first if you have not already done so. In terms of the format of this episode, we shall start with a little background information on the film, then a section on the historical accuracy of the second half of the film, and finally I shall review the second half of the film and also rate it over all out of ten. Right. You are a former colonel of the French Foreign Legion. You then end up in jail, and thanks to the haggling done by a woman named Evie, you were saved from being hung. However, as a result... You now have to return to Hamanatra, an ancient lost city where you almost lost your life. Little do you know that this time will be far worse. This time you shall awaken the mummy. Okay, so in this section, I'm just going to go over some background information on the film. To begin with, as kind of mentioned at the end of the introduction there, there's a part where Rick O'Connell, played by Brendan Fraser, gets hung and ends up getting saved by Evie, played by Rachel Weitz. In this scene, according to Rachel Weitz, Brendan Fraser almost died from suffocation and had to be resuscitated. I mean, I'm all for practical effects, but maybe that goes a little bit too far. However, although there was a lot of CGI used in this film, when it came to practical effects they were used. For instance, in the scene towards the end of the film where Evie is strapped to an altar and is about to be sacrificed so that an axe and a moon can rise from the dead, the rats we see on Evie's chest is real, 
And also, a lot of the shots of, like, locusts landing on people's faces and things like that are real also. In terms of the cast for this film, outside of Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weitz, we also have Eric Avari, who plays Dr. Terence Bay, Omid Jalili, who plays Warden Gant Hassan, John Hanna, who plays Jonathan Carnahan, Evie's brother, and Odette Fair, who plays the Magi, Ardith Bay. In this next section, I'm just going to go over the historical accuracy of the film and say what it gets right and wrong. First things first, throughout the film, we see supposed Egyptian keys, which kind of look star-shaped and are made from sort of gold and are inscripted. Such keys did not actually exist in ancient Egypt, although interestingly, the origins of the typical modern locking mechanism we have today likely date back to ancient Egypt. They seem to roughly go back to the Ramesside period, so sort of like 1300-1200 BCE-ish, and are known as either pull keys or wedge locks. Moving on, early in the second half of the film, we discover that Imhotep is absolutely terrified of cats, and Dr. Terence Bay claims that cats were the guardians of the underworld, and that he will fear them until he is fully regenerated. All of this is wrong. <laughs> uh, there are plenty of gods depicted with feline heads and as cats in ancient Egypt. So, for instance, you have Bastet, and you have Sakmet, who was usually um, depicted with a lion head. Most of these gods were female and often had more to do with war and ferocity. So, for instance, there's this story about Sekhmet, where Ra, the sun god, essentially sends her to Earth so that she can destroy those who conspire against him. However, because of her bloodlust, she started to go a bit insane and almost wipes out the entirety of humanity. The only way that Ra can stop her is to pour a lot of beer into the Nile, which has been dyed red. Sekhmet mistook this for blood and started drinking the water from the Nile and, well, essentially got drunk and this made her a bit more placid and she became a little bit more peaceful. And then, of course, you have the other daughter of Ra, which is Bastet. So, much like Sekhmet, Bastet can be shown in lion form. And when she is, she tends to represents the rage of the sun and is often used as a vessel of vengeance for Ra. But she's also shown in cat form and when she's like this, she's somewhat tamer. She could be approached and stroked and she was actually, well, just generally a lot more peaceful. So in a way, it seems strange that Imhotep will be scared of the common house cat. It would make sense if he was scared of a lion given Egyptian mythology and, well, also just because it's a lion. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't be scared of a lion? However, in general, I'd actually argue that dogs had more of an association with being guardians of the underworld, as Anubis was often called the protector of tombs. I go into this a little bit more in my episodes on The Mummy 1959, so if you are interested in this subject, maybe give those episodes a listen if you haven't already done so. When it comes to the main Medjai in the film, Ardith Bay, I did see 
a claim in a few places that he had Imhotep written incorrectly on his forehead in, in hieroglyphs, as the word on his head would spell Imhotepa. This is essentially because the last hieroglyph on his forehead is the Per sign, which is kind of a sort of rectangle with a space on the bottom, and it basically represents a building or a room. Although, if you were going to read each of the hieroglyphs, it's fair to say the word technically does say Imhotepa. I didn't entirely buy this claim. I don't think it's correct. Firstly, typically Imhotep is written using different hieroglyphs to the ones shown. And his name isn't exactly hard to find. So I, I, I don't know why they wouldn't have just copied an existing example of his name if that was the case. If anything, that would probably have taken less effort. Instead, I feel the word on his forehead may be Imhet, which means never world. In this case, the per sign at the end of the word would be a determinative instead. So, to a modern audience, a determinative can kind of be likened to an emoji. It's not there to actually make a sound, it's there to confirm or emphasise what the word means. So, for instance, for the word Waset, which was the ancient Egyptian name for the city of Thebes, there was a picture of a city at the end of the word which was not spoken. Moving on, towards the end of the film, when Imhotep is attempting to bring Anaxanamun back to life, he is wearing a scarab beetle amulet around his neck, which is hanging down to roughly where his heart is. Firstly, scarab beetle amulets were often placed on top of the heart of the deceased within the bandages, and they were usually inscribed with what's called Spell 30B of the Book of the Dead. This spell was designed to tell the hearts not to deceive the deceased during the weighing of the heart ceremony, so that they were able to enter the Field of Reeds, which can kind of be likened to heaven. Essentially, during the weighing of the heart ceremony, the deceased's heart is weighed against a feather, which is known as the Feather of Matt. If the heart is free from sin, it will be as light as the feather, and so the scales won't tilt. However, if the deceased heart is heavy from sin, then the scales will tilt, and essentially the heart will be torn apart by a terrible goddess known as Amit the Devourer, who has the head of a crocodile, the hind legs of a hippo, and the front legs of a lion. And basically this would just lead to the deceased ceasing to exist, which was kind of like the ultimate punishment in ancient Egypt. During the ceremony, the deceased also had to give what is called negative confessions to 42 gods. So these confessions were things like, I have not killed, I have not stolen, I have not robbed, things like that. And so the point of spell 30b was to make sure that the deceased's heart did not oppose them when they were making these confessions. Interestingly, scarab beetles are also associated with the god Capri, who was supposed to help Ra, the sun god, to rise each morning in the east. So basically, in ancient Egyptian religion, Ra, the sun god, was born every day as a child, grew old as he travelled across the sky, and then became old and died in the west as he sunk into the ground. He would then have to traverse the dangers of the afterlife, during which he would be regenerated, and then rise again in the morning as a child, and it was basically an eternal cycle. 
Capri was the god who rolled the newly born Ra back into the sky, much like a dung beetle rolls its ball of dung along the ground. Therefore, I am uncertain how much the writers of the film realise this, but there is arguably some symbolism in Imhotep wearing a scarab beetle amulet in this scene, as, well, essentially he's attempting to rise an action of moon from the dead. Overall, however, this film is pretty poor when it comes to historical accuracy. The idea that Emotep would be afraid of cats is nonsense, as is the idea that they were guardians of the underworld. Further, the ancient Egyptian keys in the film are nothing like the keys the ancient Egyptians actually had. However, on the upside, the film does a decent job of showing readable hieroglyphs, as talked about in part one of these episodes on uh, The Mummy 1999, and this is largely down to the work of Stuart Tyson Smith, the Egyptologist who, as explained in episode one on this film, was brought in to help with the reconstruction of the ancient Egyptian language. Further, there are a few incidental interesting things, such as Imhotep wearing the scarab beetle amulet whilst resurrecting an axon and moon. So, Although the film doesn't do a particularly good job when it comes to history, it does get a few things right here and there. In this section, I'm just going to review the second half of the film, say what I liked and disliked about it, and then just rate the film as a whole out of 10. I'll start with the parts I enjoyed, as usual. So, to begin with, in general, I enjoyed the way The Mummy brings back the ten plagues of Egypt in the film. This of course is a little random and silly but it does admittedly lead to some pretty cool scenes you know that have like fire raining down from the sky and streets full of locusts. It also allowed the middle parts of the film to remain pretty action-packed which is especially appreciated as many mummy movies tend to struggle in the middle part of the film and either become a confusing mess or just plain bland. I also enjoyed the way that the mummy slowly reforms and feel that it builds like a gradual anticipation as the film goes on because well, essentially you want to see what he looks like when he's fully formed and you want to see how powerful he is when he's fully formed as well. I feel that this is also part of the reason that the middle part of the film remains quite entertaining and intriguing. When it comes to the mummy reforming I especially found it creepy in the scene where the mostly reformed Imhotep kisses Evie, and you see his mouth evaporate as he kisses her. This scene genuinely made me shudder, and I feel it was designed to do that. As I mentioned a little in last episode, I also just thought everyone in the film played their part really well. So, Evie and Rick O'Connell, for instance, have effortless chemistry. Ardiff Bay, the Magi, is undeniably cool. And for me, I kind of felt that Benny and Evie's brother, Jonathan, were kind of like the good and evil versions of each other. So both were cowardly and a little bit selfish, both were basically comedy characters, but whilst Benny only ever thinks for himself, Jonathan does help others when they are in need and he is able to overcome his fear to fight alongside people. I'm not sure if this was intended for these two characters, but it's always the way I've personally viewed them, and 
I enjoy it. There are also, in general, just so many good scenes in this film. For instance, the scene where our main characters are being chased by the mummy and his enslaved followers, whilst I have to fight people from getting into their cars, it's just an awesome scene. And, in general, the entire ending of the film is incredibly exciting, even if them blowing up large sections of an ancient tomb does make me wince a little bit. Although there is a lot I kind of want to talk about in the ending here, I'm not going to because I feel there'll be one too many spoilers, and for anyone who hasn't seen this film, I do urge you to watch it, and I really don't want to ruin it for you. Now I'm going to go on to the parts that I found unintentionally quite funny. So, to begin with, the way this film uses cats is just ridiculous. As mentioned in the accuracy section, it is firstly completely wrong in basically every conceivable way, but also the fact that Imhotep is terrified of cats, it doesn't necessarily create plot holes, but it does make all of the characters seem far stupider than they are supposed to be. After all, why would they not just carry around cats with them? As if they did that, they'd basically be invulnerable. I feel with this part, you could honestly tell that the writers did not really put much thought into this area of the film. Secondly, Rick O'Connell's luck in this film is off the charts. For instance, at the beginning, he almost gets shot by the Magi and gets saved by essentially what was spooky wind that makes the Magi run away. And then, rather than kill him later, the Medjai just assume he will be killed off in the desert and decide to let him wander off. Then, slightly later still, during the hanging scene, his neck does not break and he just so happens to bump into the one person who's willing to save him. Then again, in one of the first fights he has with the mummy, there just so happens to be a cat present that makes the mummy run away. Then, towards the end of the film, he almost gets killed by the mummy, but gets saved in the nick of time by Jonathan, who's reading the book of Amon Ra. The list just goes on and on, and they're just the ones I remember. Essentially, for anyone who's a Red Dwarf fan, he's definitely taken some of the luck virus. Okay, in this final section, I'm just going to go over the parts that I didn't enjoy so much in the film. As already mentioned in the first episode, although I tried to separate historical accuracy from the review section, as after all these films are made for entertainment, not necessarily to be accurate, I do feel that this one took one too many liberties, especially considering they did have a trained Egyptologist as an advisor. However, I'm not going to go into this point anymore because I've already spoken about it in the first episode. I also admit that Although I did find things such as the use of cats in the film funny, it was also pretty lazy, as it was basically used as a convenient way of saving Rick O'Connell, and that's the only reason it was in the film. Further, although other mummy movies have used cats in weird ways, and have claimed that the ancient Egyptians absolutely adored cats more than anything else, I have noticed that when people talk about this, they seem to, in particular, reference this film. And so, I do feel that this film led to some misconceptions about ancient Egypt. And probably because it is a big and successful blockbuster, I feel that it happens more with this film than any other. When it came to the reviews for this film, they were decent. Uh, on IMDb, it currently has 7.1 out of 10 
which in all honesty surprised me as I thought it was going to be a little bit higher. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a score of 60% by critics and an audience score of 75%. The film was praised for how action-packed it was, um, its casting, and for just generally for its charm as well. However, some reviewers felt that the plot was a bit overstuffed and that the script was underwhelming. Further, the film was often compared to its main inspiration, The Mummy 1932, with many critics preferring the 1932 version because of how creepy its atmosphere was. For myself, as I have reiterated many times, I am unable to view this film without bias. In all honesty, I adore this film. I, I absolutely love it. Although I can appreciate The Mummy 1932, you know, for what it is, and I do have a lot of respect for it, for me, there's just no comparison. This film is the superior one. And in all honesty, although I now realise how silly large parts of this film are, it is also undeniable that this film, alongside films such as Indiana Jones, were what initially sparked my interest and my love for Egyptology and archaeology. And I'm certainly not alone in that. Although in terms of historical accuracy, it's pretty awful. It led to a fascination with Egypt for me that will last a lifetime. Further, although in terms of archaeology, it can be argued to be nothing short of destructive. Alongside other films such as Indiana Jones once again, it inspired me to become an archaeologist. Therefore, despite its flaws, I find it hard to give this film anything less than 10 out of 10 because it has had such an influence on me. Thank you very much for listening, and if you've enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing, liking, leaving a comment, and join me next Monday, where we shall be looking at this film's first direct sequel, The Mummy Returns. See you then. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.